Welcome to Global Questions by YDS, the podcast breaking down global politics for young people who want to know more. I'm your host, Emma Fabregat. You're listening to Season 3, Episode 5 of our in-depth series on the intersection of faith and politics. Even though Jews make up only about 1.8% of the US population, they were the target of 60.3% of hate crimes. Today I'm joined with Harry Rosen. We're discussing anti-Semitism. For those that don't know you, can you give an introduction about yourself and your professional background and what you do? My name's Harry, Harry Rosen. Um, I am about to finish up a media and law degree. And during my time studying, um, I did a program called the Susan Wankel Fellowship, um, which was a leadership program for Jewish university students. Uh, that are interested in effectively improving the, the, the world around them, I would say. Um, and it was through that program and around the same time that I started getting really interested in Holocaust commemoration um, and perhaps the fact that um, young people en masse weren't doing it very often um, or in an organized fashion in Sydney. And that was inspired by someone that, was, that, I'd, that I'd met on the program. And so in 2017, with a couple of um, really great friends, we decided to approach the Sydney Jewish Museum to see if we could get something off the ground. And a couple months into that journey, we kind of realized that none of us had any formal kind of experience in the world of Holocaust commemoration or Holocaust education or, frankly, um, fighting anti-Semitism. And the five of us um, formed what is now Youth Here, which as of a couple of weeks ago is a registered charity. Effectively now what we do is a mix of Holocaust commemoration, um, cross-community collaboration and an effort to fight hate, all in the service of the goal of mitigating hate in society by connecting young Australians with the memory of the Holocaust. Amazing. So you're obviously doing a lot of work within the Jewish community and would you be able to just give uh, a definition of what anti-Semitism is or what it is in your eyes and kind of the historical context or where it originates from? So anti-Semitism is one of these things, I would say, that people find it very, very difficult to pin down um, as a result of, I guess, the subjective nature of of offensive interactions and just the insidious and ever-changing nature of something like the hatred of Jewish people. Um, The International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, IRA, say that anti-Semitism is a certain perception of Jews, which may be expressed as hatred towards Jews. Um, And then they go on to list a a few archetypal examples of um, what anti-Semitism is and what it looks like. Um, So certain things like drawing comparisons of of Jews to Nazis and using the symbols and images associated with classic anti-Semitism, such as like, you know, hook noses or the, the blood libel as well. And anti-Semitism is another one of those kinds of things, which is very difficult to define in the abstract and oftentimes requires approaching a situation with, um, with nuance and care. Of course, when we speak about it, I think the first thing people think of is, you know, World War II. But then I think nowadays, like we obviously still see anti-Semitism and people say things that are clearly anti-Semitic. So I just wanted to know, like, what do you think about the challenges of facing it today in comparison to, you know, after World War Two and things like that? Anti-Semitism has been around for as long as there have been Jews to hate, frankly. And depending on how literally you take Jewish text, it's said that it will be with Jewish people for as long as they're kind of um, around. Uh, but I guess the, the question that you've asked is more about what do I think of um, the way that it's developed of late? I feel like at this 
um, moment in history in a kind of like quite postmodern world. Western societies are acutely aware of and attempting to confront the wrongs suffered by minority groups in society en masse. And one group that seems to be left out of those discussions um, is Jewish people. But I guess um, what's interesting to note is that oftentimes one might think of anti-Semitism as being a feature of the more right-wing side of the political spectrum. So obviously the most famous example would be the Nazis in, in, in Germany during the 20th century. But I think of late there's been this kind of um, pretty insidious development of anti-Semitism amongst more left-wing groups with left-wing sensibilities. Let's unpack that. Like, so why do you think that's happening? What's been the major shift that's happened that it's become, you know, accepted in different parts of society? I think that there's always going to be people with a kind of visceral hatred for Jewish people that operates below the level of rationality. Um, and I think that anti-Semitism seems to spread um, because those people communicate in rational terms for why that visceral hatred is legitimate. And depending on the context, those arguments are more or less compelling. And I think that you're going to have deeply anti-Semitic people on both the left and the right wing, as, as we've discussed. But um, it just so happens that at the moment, the paradigm that is particularly compelling in left-wing circles allows for the proliferation of this kind of anti-Semitism. And that's, in my opinion, is even more dangerous because then it kind of hides itself within, like you're saying, a rational context of I'm not anti-Semitic, I'm, you know, anti-Israel, which is a whole other issue. But even if you're looking at Australia, like I found that there were 368 anti-Semitic incidents logged in the 12 months to the 30th of September in 2019, and that the number of incidents from the 2019 period was 56% higher than the average number over the previous seven years. So that's quite a concerning statistic. So like, why do you think that anti-Semitism has been on the rise? Yeah, another one of those concerning statistics comes from the US, which is that even though Jews make up only about 1.8% of the US population, they were the target of 60.3% of hate crimes. So there does seem to be this phenomenon that even though Jews make up a minority of the population, they seem to be massively overrepresented in the hate crime statistics. I think in the 20th century, with the memory of the Holocaust um, still extremely fresh, there was a consciousness of the great atrocity that was the result of anti-Semitism that had just occurred. And I think that like the further we get away from the Holocaust and the, the less potent that memory is, the more people feel like they'll give themselves permission to act on impulses that they may otherwise have control. That's true. And that's actually a really good point you bring up. Could you talk about like the importance of, you know, recognizing the Holocaust and seeing it for what it is and in fighting against the trends, like you were saying, of people that completely deny it? For us, what we think is really important is to not just register intellectually an awareness of the Holocaust, but to authentically connect emotionally as much as possible with what it is that happened. I think it's very easy to read about it and to think about it and to have it all be operating at the level of the intellect and so have it not affect you. And I think that by dealing with it in such a fashion, it allows you to, um, or, or gives it gives an individual the space to perhaps like engage in, in Holocaust denial because you're not kind of authentically connected to exactly what's gone on. And so 
that's been a big thing that we've tried to do because we found that like, you know, going through school, singing in class, reading about it, it doesn't inculcate that sense of connection to what it is that actually happened. So a lot of thought in, in what we do is, is put into, well, how can we facilitate that kind of experience? What does it mean? And, and what does it look like? Yeah, definitely. And obviously the manifestations might include the targeting of the state of Israel, which is conceived as a Jewish collectivity. But I think what's important to note what we can talk about is how, first of all, there are large Jewish communities all over the world that don't live in Israel, that have no like connection, you know, to Israel. So you can criticize the Israeli government. You can criticize um, things that Israel has done. What makes something or someone anti-Semitic is the refusal to basically acknowledge Israel's right to exist and any holding of a Jew or Jews collectively um, responsible for the actions of Israel and its government. And then if we discuss, you know, why it is people find themselves getting into trouble with it, a number of things happen. Sometimes someone is espousing an anti-Semitic viewpoint and they're just conveniently swapping the language to make it more socially acceptable. Um, And that's the most insidious form. But other times people can just be expressing frustration in a way that is over the top and driven by emotion and, um, and they don't realize what they're saying or how it comes across or what the implications of it are. So in terms of dealing with anti-Semitism, my advice is usually to start by not condemning the person that you're dealing with. Um, so there's a difference between saying you are anti-Semitic and that thing that you just said was anti-Semitic because if you separate what someone said from the person that you are from from the person that they are I find that you have a much greater chance of being able to discuss with them whether or not it was in fact problematic and then to you know explain why you know often invoking the the IRA definition is really useful because it's not as though you're saying look I was offended by what you said and it's therefore anti-Semitic you know by invoking the definition you go look the community got together as a whole before the fact and decided that there were these kind of key tenets of what is and isn't anti-Semitism. And it's my view that, you know, whatever it is that you've just said has crossed that threshold. And finally, the thing that I've found most useful in confronting anti-Semitism, and obviously this is context dependent because it's not always appropriate, but it's to be forthcoming with how whatever it was that was said made you feel. Now, this is assuming that this is a kind of like fundamentally good person that's kind of either internalized some anti-Semitic ideology or has just, you know, operated with a bit of ignorance. Um, There's also going to be people who are just like fundamentally anti-Semitic but don't care about how you feel and just want to upset you as a Jewish person. And so it's also important to acknowledge that as well. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. And I think the issue is too often people like hear things that don't seem right but we kind of don't say anything because we don't want to like upset another person or we don't feel like it's our place or you know we don't want to have that awkward conversation but I think it does come from a place of courage to be able to stand up to somebody and you know have a calm conversation which I think can also be hard when it comes from a place of emotion as well because you're obviously going to have an emotional reaction I now wanted to kind of move on to the work that you do. I know you touched on it at the beginning and and talked us through, but what led you to actually wanting to start it? Like what was your passion in in wanting to start uh, the fellowship and also the kind of the work that you do? 
so yeah, so I, I didn't start the fellowship. I applied for it and um, participated in it in 2018. Um, and at the beginning of this year, went back to work for it, I guess. I, I went back as um, an assistant to the director. And then with his leaving, there's been a reorganization of the way that it runs now. But I, I'm now the director in Sydney and I've got a colleague in Melbourne who is the director there. In terms of why we started youth here, you know, I, I never had the chance to talk to my grandparents about their experiences. Um, I was too young for three of them. And with the last one who unfortunately passed away earlier this year, um, I just never had the courage to ask about what had happened because it was so painful for them to talk about. And on the couple of occasions that I kind of tried, it was just so, it was just devastating for them. And so I guess a significant part of the motivation for me is just that I would have really wanted them to know that I care and I, I'm connected to the significance of it, not just for, for them, but for our community and for the, for the world, frankly. And I guess by extension, I feel like it's almost our responsibility as descendants of the people who survived what was an almost unprecedented atrocity to continue to communicate the scale of that atrocity, um, to do whatever we can to warn people that it can happen, it has happened, and we need to be constantly working to ensure that it won't happen again. So if somebody wanted to reach out to you, get to know more about the fellowships and um, things that you do, where would they be able to reach you? Youth Here is on Facebook. Look us up, H-E-A-R. Otherwise, look up the Susan Wankel Fellowship on Facebook um, and all of our contact details are there. And I would encourage anyone that's interested in, in the kind of work that um, I've discussed that we do to reach out. Um, we're always looking for people to be involved, um, regardless of who they are and where they've come from and what experience they've had. Everyone brings something different and everyone is immensely valuable in their own way. So please do. I'd really like to hear from you. Thanks for listening to this in-depth episode. Make sure to check out YDS on social media, where you'll find articles and info about upcoming events. We'll see you next week.